Hello and welcome to this EG podcast from the UK Reef Conference in Leeds. I'm Tim Burke, EG's Deputy Editor, and I'm joined by Beck Seely, Managing Director for Development at Lendlease Europe, and Dan Bridge, Royal Docks Programme Director at the Greater London Authority, to talk about the regeneration of the Royal Docks as an example of ambitious private-public sector partnerships in action. Thank you both for being here with EG today. Beck, let's start, if we can, with, with an overview of the scheme. Talk us through the, the project from, from Lendlease's uh, side. So, Silvertown, I think, is probably, in our sort of world, the absolute opportunity to bring forwards the east of London here and now and really bring the community that, you know, Dan has been working in the docks for a long time. There's lots happen, but this is the heart of that space. And so it's a really large-scale mixed-use development. And I think probably what, from a feature perspective, what stands out for those of you who've ever been there or flown into London City is Millennium Mills on the site. So um, I don't know if this is a good, bad thing, but the Battersea of the East is what it's always called. I'm smiling at Dan. <laughs> um, but, you know, it's not often when you're doing a really large-scale project and it's regeneration that you actually sort of gifted such history and such evolution. And the mills, that centerpiece, as you come over the water, which is the other key feature of it, um, really sort of stands out in terms of what this project can deliver. But when you come down to kind of, you know, what, what's the composition of it, it's over 6,000 homes. Um, we're currently in planning for that. It's a significant injection of commercial space, but I think not too much. It's blended through those homes, so very mixed use. You probably would expect that from a lease approach. And probably what I'm really super excited about is the opportunity to bring that sort of heart to that whole region um, and particularly what the ground plane is going to deliver. So really bringing shops, restaurants, facilities, community things, things for people to do who live and work there, which I think at the moment there's a lot happen, but it probably slightly needs that injection of that place. Dan, from, from the GLA side, what were you looking for in, uh, in a private sector name to help drive a, a project of this, of this scale and this significance forward? So it's a very good question. Um, as Beck said, Silvertown is the largest site in the Mayor of London's land portfolio. And when you're seeking a development partner to work with you on a project like that, you need to find somebody that you are happy and, and willing to work with probably over a 15 or 20 year um, time period. And so I think you really need to be able to find a partner that you can trust through that period of time, through you know significant changes to economic cycles and potentially political cycles and somebody that you can develop trust with over time to deliver your original vision for the site, but in a way that might, that might change over time. How did the vision develop as, as different stakeholders became involved, as you know, different voices were heard? How did the master plan for this take shape and, and were there changes along the way uh, you, you talk there of moving through cycles moving through different situations that the country's faced economically politically maybe mm. how did that vision take shape so the the master plan for silvertown i guess started work probably nearly 10 years ago um so the 
The original development partner that we selected for the site started on that process 10 years ago and it, it has evolved over time. The, the sort of the response to the original brief and vision has changed, but ultimately the key objectives for the site, which is that this should be a center and a heart for the Royal Docks. It should be a genuine mixed use development. Uh, it should be very high quality and it should provide lots of social value and, and significant amounts of affordable homes for Newham have stayed the same. So um, yeah, that, that process has been an interesting one. It's been a 10 year process so far. And as Beck just, just mentioned, the latest iteration of that is now with Newham for consideration, but the first phase of the development is underway. So, you know, when Lendlease entered the project, three, four years ago now. One of the key commitments from the GLA, from Mayor of London's perspective, was we don't want you to just start again from completely from scratch because so much work had been done with, with the communities. And it was really important that we started with the first phase of the development, which in includes Millennium Mills. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. I think it's probably worth sort of saying that um, I mean, we, we acquired the project um, in partnership with Starwood. And... Um, from the moment probably when those discussions started, there was a conversation about evolution of the project. And I think that's what you get on all really large complex schemes. Because if, if you stand still, and clearly it's not gonna work with the time periods we're talking about because the world has moved on. And we we definitely had a kind of shared vision. And, and from Eleni's perspective, it was we, we think you could do more affordable and we think the, the place could really benefit from that. And we actually think also you could probably think about how you mix the housing in with what's already there and probably I think as Dan says we're all super aligned on no one wants to sit here for years doing nothing we, we need to get going and so quite a complex planning strategy you know has been developed to enable the project to evolve but also we are going so if you go out there now there's diggers there's a lot going on out there <laughs> they'll probably sort of shepherd you away to the side and say you can't stand there stand here <laughs> Dan mentioned the work that had already been done with, with, with local communities. How did you pick that up and run with it in terms of Lendlease then reaching out to, reaching out to the community, engaging, listening to, to their views? Because as you, as you say, there, there, were, there were, of course, new parts of that vision that, that you've brought to the table over the last, last sort of three or four years. Yeah, and I, I think all of our Lendlease projects, the absolute thing that we really focus on is making sure we listen and so our team on this, um, led by Ed Mays, really focused on spending time um, with the local communities and trying to understand what all parts of those communities were saying. Because one thing we've definitely learned with really large complex projects is, you know, some people are noisier and find it easier to speak than others. And how do you try to engage people who wouldn't necessarily say what they think? Um, so we obviously went through kind of a very significant program of trying to become part of that community and engage with them and be trusted um, which is difficult to achieve particularly when you first start but I think over time we've been there a significant amount of time now and also listening reflecting acting demonstrating that when people give us feedback we respond to it and think about it and think how we can manage what they're saying and whether we can achieve what they're commenting on and the other thing I think with this particular position is that, you know, for many years, as Dan said, this has been a really large scheme waiting to happen. And so interestingly, many times you might see communities going, we don't, you know, we're not really up for change. We don't want that. In this one, it's like, when are you starting? Please get going. 
we're desperate. Um, because of all the things that I think Silvertown does add to a really kind of vibrant existing community, but it, it moves on further. You um you mentioned they're trying to hear those voices that that might not have felt listened to or might not have tried to communicate their views before. What what ways did you try to bring them into the conversation? Was it a case of using new channels? I mean, I suppose there are people who don't who don't head to a town hall to to join a consultation over plans. There are sort of digital ways of of engaging. What what were some of the tricks that that you used to make sure you were hearing parts of a community that might not have felt listened to by a company like Lendlease in the past? I think probably the the most important thing is to understand you can't do everything yourself and to not try. And so rather than necessarily a Lendlease approaching people, you know, for example, simple example, but really listening to teachers and school leaders. Ed, Ed our project leader, he, he absolutely will speak passionately about the feedback given from head teachers and senior teachers and school leaderships. And, and these people know their communities inside out, you know, they're, they're, they're sort of breeding the generations of the future. And, you know, they're going to know it so much better than we ever can. And recognising that and learning from it and listening. And I, I jump in here because I think this is where my team comes in a lot because Silvertown is our largest site, but it's actually one of only six really significant regeneration projects in a part of London that's probably been transformed more quickly and in a, in a different way than any other part of the city. So when my team started their work probably about four years ago, we had a whole year of a conversation with existing communities called the Big Conversation, where we used a whole range of different methods to engage with communities from cultural programs. We actually repurposed a milk float um, with branding on and kit on that went around all different bits of existing communities and new communities over over the period of the summer to engage people in their views. And one of the challenges that you have in the rural docks, because there's so much development, is there's so many consultation processes happening all the time that people are being asked about or engaged with on different plans, um, whether that's the opportunity area planning framework or you know development sites or phases of development. And so I have a community relations team that tries to demystify that for local communities and, and frankly simplify a, it. There could be a fatigue that almost sets oh, a, in, right? Absolutely. When people are, what am I being consulted on now? Am I lost between I can, these? No, completely. And, yeah. and obviously, you know, not necessarily you ask, you ask the same questions over and over again. Um, so with that coordinated piece, we've got a, a bank of information of previous consultation exercises. And very often now we'll take the decision you know, outside of statutory consultation processes to use that bank of information and to share that with our development partners or other partners and use that as the basis. And um, obviously you need to refresh that on a regular basis, but uh, I think that it's really important. I think the, you know, the other amazing thing about the Royal Docks is just how quickly the community is growing and changing. So, you know, we've probably added three or 4,000 people to the community in the last couple of years alone into developments around the place. Um, the thirst for the first for understanding about what's happening and what's going on is great and the communities and the mix of communities that are landing there is is also really fascinating because they're genuine you know Newham is a diverse borough the, the demographies is is slightly different in the docks and the makeup of the development is different but it's still incredibly the new communities are incredibly diverse and 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 very engaged and more engaged actually as they as the new members of the community come in. So there's more and more interest in what's happening. Beck mentioned earlier being gifted the, the history that comes with the site. 
What kind of responsibility comes with that gift in terms of making sure that, that, that what you're doing includes and respects the heritage, the history of that site, as well as, as, well as creating a future for, for communities? How do, you, how do you balance those two sides of the, the equation? Well, I think the obvious thing is a huge responsibility, right? Um, I, think it is, I think it is quite rare, but one thing I probably think focuses, and I think Dan's particularly good at driving this, is you know, we don't want to deliver a history that sits in a box and doesn't kind of embrace the community. So it, it's kind of an approach where respecting the history but making the history part of the future. And so I think that's really important to get the community to really engage with what is there and, and where things have come from. Um, so, for example, you know, the approach to Millennium Mills will be very much around absolutely kind of, you know, the physical attributes of it. You're, you're going to know it's a really old building that has a history. But what it should create in the future is, you know, generations of talent to come. So that, that story and the linkage rather than like kind of, you know, look at it with a clipboard and tick off kind of features of history. It's probably not quite where we're going with it. <laughs> I think just to add to that, because we've got we have got some amazing heritage assets in the docks, as um, as Beck mentioned, you know, including the docks themselves. So the landscape is unique and amazing, but it's not like some other parts of Docklands in other cities where you've got loads of amazing Victorian warehouse buildings. You know, um, that that we don't have a huge number of those. But what is fascinating is the social history of the docks and making sure that the social history is understood and accepted and celebrated is incredibly important and so through our cultural program we do lots of work on that which sort of shines lights on on things experiences existing you know the stories of people that used to work in the docks to really really bring the the, the place to life because the, the built forms is very important and beautiful but actually the social history is actually much more it's much richer in many ways and and um, and there's a lot more of it and can we talk about the sustainability um, aspect of this? Uh, talk, take me through the, the green ambitions for this site and how that's been, that's been factored into the, the plans. So, well, I think absolutely the green ambition of the site is an area where I'd say with, you know, a really large project, 10, 15, 20 years plus, what, what I say today will definitely not be what happens with it because absolutely... The thing that we're really trying to do on Silvertown is not sort of set a target and go, that's what we'll deliver and that'll be that. We're trying to go, right, what's the best? And every, literally, I mean, we talk, you know, the world is moving the whole time. And so I'd say the absolute approach we're trying to drive through Silvertown is how can we be inclusive, sustainable, but really drive innovation through it? And that's what I think our teams are super excited about. There's hopefully some stuff will be out with back of the year, I'm looking at that now, um, that's super exciting and really right up there on innovation in terms of how you deliver sustainability that works with not just the scheme that you're looking at, but with the wider docks and how that comes through. For me, it's, it's less about, oh, it's this metric, that metric. It's more about the culture of sustainable innovation that we're trying to drive through such a large-scale project that can make such a difference. Yeah, my Beck's absolutely right, and I think it goes back to my first first response to your first question, really, which was how 
things move completely move on completely so you know 10 years ago what the new Maryland thought about sustainability and what you should deliver is completely different to now so if we'd have put something in a contract it probably would have been you know defunct um, but the amazing thing about the docks is because of the scale of it and again because of the landscape the access to the water the mix of uses it's got all of the ingredients to deliver you know ex exceptionally high levels of sustainability and opportunities to do things that uh, as Beck said hopefully we'll be able to announce later this year means that um, Silvertown uh, and the docks will be if not the most one of the most sustainable developments and regeneration projects in London because of those ingredients. And to Beck's point about innovation that will spread beyond just the Silvertown scheme in itself do can you already see aspects of this project that you that you would like to see, want to see, hope to see replicated um, elsewhere across the docks. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that goes to a lot of the work that we do actually in the docks as a you know sort of a an, an innovation base really. And and I think um, when the, the the docks is London's only enterprise zone, and when it got that enterprise zone status, it was on the back of being a green enterprise zone, which is why Siemens built their crystal there. And so having people like that there that are thinking about how do you use this development and change to innovate, um, assess, te test things is really good. We've just funded a project with the University of East London to build a Royal Dock Sustainability Centre, which is currently underway on the UEL campus. And that will be a um, effectively a green incubator and accelerator for green industries. Uh, and again, the, the sort of the landscape, the building, the access, the space, and the fact that we've got a university on, on campus um, provides a whole load of really interesting ingredients to, to really push some of that stuff. And so take me through the the timeline that we're looking at now so with the plans in what is the what is the expectation for when you might hope for this to be in front of committee and then what next steps take place well i guess as dan said we're already in the ground so um we're, we're in an interesting position with a planning consent but another planning consent which is what large schemes end up with often it's not unusual actually and you know we're going so hopefully you'll see houses coming out of the ground very soon in terms of planning, we would hope to be, um, I think, back of the year, start of next year. Not all in our hands. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then, really, the, the, way, the way we see it, though, is very much a continual, we're going and, and we're moving. The, the, the planning is important, super important, because it crystallises the next evolution of, of Silvertown. But, it, you know, we are using what we have to, to move now. So absolutely, I think we are, I think, super pleased that we've already got now um, the planning approval for the bridge. That's happened recently. So that's going to make a big difference on the connectivity into the site, um, which you'll be able to sort of like walk across at level, which is really important. For those of you who've ever been there, you have to go at height at the moment, up and down, it's a bit awkward. Um, so that will massively improve accessibility. And yeah, our story is we're kind of going. Excellent stuff. Well, listen, uh, Beck, Dan, thank you both so much for, for joining EG and for, for outlining the scheme and everything that you hope to achieve with it. Um, been a pleasure to talk with you both. Thank you for listening. And if you've enjoyed this discussion and you'd like to hear more from EG at UK Reef, then you can find the rest of our podcasts at egi.co.uk forward slash news.